Welcome to Thought Revolution. This is a show for leaders like you who want to learn how to lead and manage in a way that expands your impact and influence. My name is Kristen Nebro and I am the founder of Impact Consultancy. And I'm excited to share with you my biggest aha moments and thought-provoking concepts that are designed to free up your time, your team's capacity, and your ability to create impact in the world. Let's go. Welcome to episode 37, and this week I'm bringing you an interview with Amy Lineker, and if you haven't heard of her, you're going to learn about her today. She is a sought-after leadership consultant and coach who's known for her trusted advice and track record of delivering results, and the key theme we're focusing on today is trust and leadership. I know you're going to get a lot out of today's interview. We we went ahead and recorded it at a Starbucks, so it might be a little bit busy in the background, but honestly, it felt like just me and her were one-on-one, and I hope you're going to get that same impact as well. If you struggle with team performance or even just the transition into leadership, I think you're going to love this interview. So enjoy. All right. I'm super excited. Welcome to the next podcast. I'm sitting here with Amy Lineker. She is um, all things leadership. So you're a consultant, you're a trainer, uh, you are a coach, and you are an author specifically around leadership development. Um, tell us more about who you are. I'm excited for everybody to get to know you. Yeah, thanks for having me. So it's funny because when you say I'm all of those things, so are, those aren't the things I think of first. Okay. <laughs> so I think about uh, being a mom and a friend and a, a sister and a daughter. But yes, all of the things that you mentioned are what I'm passionate about for my work. So tell us more about exactly what you do outside of just being a mom and outside mm-hmm. of being a sister. Like, um, what is it that you spend your nine to five time doing and supporting? So I am really lucky. I get to spend most of my day helping leaders and teams work better together. I love it. And I know. So right now I am passionate about helping teams trust each other. So how do we have teams trust their leader? How do we have leaders truly extend trust to their teams? I'm brought into organizations to do all sorts of things, but it's usually never about that thing. So, but that's an interesting connection because, so you're brought in not about trust, but you, you're centering on trust. Like what about trust is um, like the foundation of what you do? So what I'm finding, and we know this from research, is that if a team doesn't trust each other, they can't really do anything together. And so I'm brought in to create a strategic plan, or I'm brought in to, I was just brought in recently to help a team reorganize a project. Well, the reason why the project wasn't working is because they didn't trust each other. It wasn't that they didn't have the right project management tools, it's that they didn't trust each other. And so I'm brought in for all of these other reasons, but I end up spending most of my time helping them trust each other. Do you know that when they call you? Are you like, okay, it's probably gonna be trust, or? I wanna be careful about that because I don't wanna end up with the confirmation bias. So I don't wanna go in and look for places where there isn't trust, but it hasn't happened yet, where I haven't found some area where trust could be improved. That's fascinating. So what is it about, how people know you that makes them reach out to you for some of the external problems like we need you know a restructure or a reorganization or a, a plan um, and then they they get from you you know resolution around internal problem like is there like I'm just so curious because I would imagine then that people are coming to you because um, they're able to really connect with we've got an internal problem here but that doesn't seem to be the case So I spent 20 years in government, so I think it was just building those relationships and having people trust me, for lack of a better word, not to overuse that word, but just really having a reputation as someone who was able to do the types of things that I'm being brought in to do. So things like manage projects, develop leadership off-sites, 
come up with a new way of figuring out how we do what we do. So those were all things that I did as part of my career Got in government, it. and so now I'm being asked to help organizations do those things, just in a different way. And so. You're saying, you're telling us about government, so tell us more about like which government and what you were doing. Oh, yeah, thank you. So I spent over two decades working in state government. So the majority of my career has been in the public sector. And so that is my heart, this passion for public service. And so it was hard for me uh, to think about leaving the public sector because it's my passion. And so to be able to be on the consulting side but working with public agencies still allows me to feel that I'm adding value to the greater good. Got it. And um, for those of you who don't know, this is the state of Washington. Oh, yes, thank you. Yep. Yes. Okay, good deal. So um, are the majority of the teams that you work with then public sector? Are they all public sector? They're not all public sector. Right now I'm working with the majority of public sector. I'm working with state government, with a couple of cities, a few counties. Okay. And then I just started working with a few private sector clients. So that's been fun to be able to see how there are very many, there are many things that are similar between private sector and public sector, but there's also so many things that are different. So for me, it's been a great way to learn about those similarities and then to appreciate some of the differences. So talk to us more about trust. Let's just stay there for a mm -hmm. second. Um, when you say that, because that's broad, right? Like that's like saying we don't respect each other. Or, you know what I mean? Like, yes. Um, although I bet you, you know, folks are, are actually able to connect with like, oh, yeah, I know what that looks like. Um, what are some of the things that you're seeing and then what are the, some of the things that you're doing to be able to assess and then build that kind of trust? And it's a word that scares people. So I don't spend a lot of time with folks who walk around saying that they don't trust each other because that's a really loaded thing to say. Yeah. And so part of what I do when I work with an executive team is I meet with each leader one-on-one. -on -one. I meet with their direct reports and just spend 30 minutes to an hour with each person. And by doing that, I'm able to start connecting these dots across the team and being able to really understand what is happening with this, not just as a team, but what's happening with them as people. And so some of the things that I pick up on are, there are 13 behaviors that have been shown to lead to high trust relationships by Stephen Covey, the book Speed of Trust. Yeah. And so for me, it's really been able to identify, am I seeing those 13 behaviors on this team? Or what's more often the case is that I'm seeing either the opposite behavior or what Covey calls the counterfeit behavior. So the counterfeit behavior is actually worse than the opposite because it's like counterfeit money. You're given $100, it feels great in the moment, and then you go and try to spend it and you get arrested. Right? <laughs> so the same thing happens in organizations. You tell me something and I think you're telling me the truth. And so it feels good in the moment. And then later I realize you were only telling me a half truth or maybe you were spinning it a little bit more than, than you should have. And now I feel like that's been a counterfeit. Now I feel like I've had that that bait and switch. When you see that kind of behavior happening, are you finding that that is something that's intentional or kind of an unintentional thing that's driven by, um, you know, some other kind of motivation or, or maybe just an, maybe the, that's happening and it's creating that impact but the intention is that folks don't want to like create conflict or what's been like your experience seeing that? And this may sound naive to you, but I believe that the majority of people get up every day wanting to do the right thing. I do not believe that the world is full of leaders who go out and try to make other people's lives miserable. Uh, then I think we're both naive, because I think the same thing. <laughs> yes. I, I really do. Yeah, if I didn't think that, I couldn't do this work. If I did not believe in the very nature of people, I would not be able to do what I do. 
And so when I see those behaviors, I come from a place of having to believe that they don't understand either what they're doing or the impact that it's having. And so I am so encouraged when I'm able to work with teams where they start to see what they're doing and how it's impacting other people. So then they start to shift their behaviors. And to me, that's the win is how do we have just those little behavior shifts that create huge changes for people. So I, I think that's appealing because, you know, um, I talk a lot about, so from a process perspective, there's this principle, the Pareto principle, right? Which is 20% of your activity creates 80% of your results, 20% of your problems create 80% of like your headaches or your time suck. Um, and then in the world of performance, 20% of behaviors create 80% of the kind of performance that you get. And so I'm really curious, how do you then take a team that brought you in for one thing and then have them really take a hard look at, hey, I want to begin to explore trust. It's really by having them trust me. So by being able to build a relationship with them so that by the time I say to them, I really think this team needs to work on trust, I think this team needs to explore trust, that they believe that. And even if they're not sure they want to believe it, that they trust me enough to go with it. And what I typically say to people is, you may not love this trust work because it's hard. I think about the first time I went to marriage therapy, it's not all the fun, right? I don't cartwheel all the way to marriage therapy. It's hard, but it's worth it. And I think the trust conversations in teams are a lot like that. You're vulnerable, you can feel exposed, it feels awkward, and yet if you can stay with that space, you can come out of it in a really different place. I love it because I think it really speaks to um, people wanting, um, better relationships um, and just a, a different kind of experience at work. So let me ask one last question um, before I shift here. What is it, so you're having that, so obviously you're building that kind of trust. Yes. You're, you're taking them on a journey somewhere, so to speak. Um, yeah. This might not come up for you or not, but maybe it does. What, um, if you get asked this question, what is the return on investment for folks if they say, yeah, we want to build more trust? I mean, like in my mind, I'm like, yeah, that's obvious, but I don't know that that's obvious for every single person. And so if you get that kind of question, like how do we measure, you know, improves trust? How does that look for us? Because I, I can imagine someone could measure, we don't have a plan, we have a plan, right? Mm -hmm. um, our productivity is down, we need to restructure. Mm -hmm. At least that's what they think is the problem. So are you connecting maybe the, the same outcomes that they maybe came to you with, with trust, or is it something different? I do, and it goes a step further. Okay. So I, um, I facilitate Stephen Covey's speed of trust. Okay. So trust is actually measurable, and it is quantifiable. And so in the beginning, they do a 360 assessment. And so for the first time, this team is looking at their own level of trustworthiness. And they're having to see how trust, they assess themselves, here's how trustworthy I believe I am based on all of these behaviors. But then other members of the team are assessing them as well. And so they have this quantifiable measure in the beginning that says, here's where we are. Got it. And so together as a team, I help them look at those numbers and decide in six to nine months, where do you want to be? And what's it going to take to get there? And then in six to nine months, they retake that assessment and look at did their trust quotient increase? And in what areas did it increase? Because it doesn't happen magically. We don't just go out and decide suddenly today, I want to be more trustworthy. It's a very intentional day after day after day experience. 
Oh, I'd imagine the kind of work that requires to build that if the, the level of trust is lower than you really want it to be. And I was working with a leader recently who said, Amy, we don't have time for this. We have so much on our plates. I do not have two days to give you to build trust. And I said, well, how are things currently working for you? How much time are you spending right now mitigating disputes between team members? How much time are you spending talking about deadlines that aren't happening? How much time are you spending recruiting and interviewing because there's a revolving door of people leaving your organization? We're gonna spend our time one way or another. You're either gonna spend it building a system where people want to stay, or you're gonna spend it building a system where you're constantly bringing in new people until they move on to something else. I love it. I love it because you're kind of engaging both brains right there, right? You're engaging the need to be able to feel connected, which some people can relate to, and they know that it's going to make an effort. And you're, you're connecting with like that left brain, which is like, you know, I feel like some of the, whether they're CFOs I've worked with, or folks who were not in that CFO role, but like they think from that place, where it's like, tell me the ROI, tell me the ROI. And you've just basically laid out, you know, at this moment, you're, your current experience is driving X, mm -hmm. right? So that's, that's super crystal, that's super yeah, crystal. Yeah, if they're not getting the results they want, then how do we do something different? Yes. Uh, and it's not just teams that are broken that need to talk about trust. Every team is always talking about how do we build it? How do we grow it? How do we continue to nurture it? Uh, what I'm finding is that teams who are in high trust environments are the ones who end up doing my marketing for me. So I'm in an organization where it was the same organization where they said, Amy, we don't have time for trust, but they went ahead and did it. And now other teams are saying, what's happening over there? We've never seen this group act that way. We've never seen people like this at work. And so they're seeing something different, which to me starts to be the tangible piece. Totally. You've created evidence in the world. Exactly. You don't have to convince people. They exactly. just have to go see. Yeah. Very cool. I love it. So let's shift a little bit here. Um, you've had a career probably a stellar career that started in a certain place. You were in state government, now you've got this career providing consult, coaching, training. Uh, when you reflect on this entire career that you have, what, if anything, would you say has changed in terms of what leaders need to be successful? I think the biggest thing that has changed is the mindset shift that we're now asking leaders to have. Okay. So early in my career, leaders were the ones who knew everything. Leaders were the ones that had all the answers. Leaders were the ones that solved the problems. And now we're asking leaders to have a really different mindset shift in terms of it's their job to support the people who know everything, who solve the problems. And that's a big shift. And for me, it's one of the exciting things about helping to grow leaders is freeing them up from, you don't have to know all of the answers. And instead, it's about how do you grow and develop and nurture people and letting some of that responsibility shift to a different way of thinking. That's so fascinating. So um, the podcast that people might have listened to right before this one, mm -hmm. um, we had a guest on, Christine McHugh, and I asked her the same question, mm -hmm. and in her experience, she was just kind of mimicking the same thing you just shared, right? Mm -hmm. She was saying how in the past, it was really about folks' functional yes. you know, knowledge, and now it's something very different, right? Mm -hmm. Which is what you just described. Mm -hmm. um, so if that's the kind of leadership mindset that's shifted, would you say that the support, the preparation for that kind of like leadership um, presence has shifted too? Like, is there the kind of support that's needed for a leader to be able to 
be that kind of leader? Today? I think the need is there, and I think the support is starting to be there. Okay. So one of the challenges in the public sector, I think to the private sector to some degree, but not as much, is that in the public sector, people are often promoted because of their technical expertise. Yeah. You're in a job, you're the best technical expert there is, and so you're the one that's promoted to lead a team. Yes. And the challenge with that is the same skills that make you a brilliant technical expert are not always the same skills that make you a good leader. And so we promoted people based on their inherent skills, and then we put them in a job and we tell them to do something very different than what they're good at and what they're used to feeling really proud of. And that's the suffering that I witness in a lot of middle managers that I work with. They've been promoted into positions because of things that they have done in their career, and now they're in a position where they feel like they're failing. So can I ask you a question? Because I feel like um, I ask this a lot of people, and sometimes there's debate. So folks are now in this position. Mm-hmm. Would you say that everyone, because there's a philosophy, everyone's a leader, mm-hmm. um, but can everyone lead a team? Would you say that everyone has the capability to be able to make this mindset set? I can't talk. Make this <laughs> mindset shift um, and lead effectively? Or, or would you say that that's maybe not for everybody and maybe there's something in between i'm really curious in my heart i believe that everyone is a leader Mm -hmm. because i believe that leadership is how you show up so absolutely i believe that every single person is a leader should everyone lead a team i don't believe so so part of the work that i do is helping people realize for themselves is this what they want to do i was working with a new leader recently who wasn't enjoying leadership took the promotion because that's what you do. You work hard, you get promoted. You work hard, you get promoted. So she took the promotion because that was the next thing that made sense to her. What she missed was all of the things she had done in her old job. Mm. So when I sat with her and I was asking her, what about your day do you really enjoy? It was everything that she did in her former job. And when I said, what about your job causes you angst? What about your job really just makes you miserable? It was everything connected to leadership. So it was this eye-opening experience for her that choosing not to lead a team is not failing. Choosing to not lead a team is simply saying you want to go in a different direction. The world needs brilliant technical experts. And frankly, when she was promoted into leadership, there was a huge void that she left because of her technical expertise. So for her to be able to decide on her own terms that that was the choice she wanted, not because she couldn't cut it, not because she couldn't hack it, but because her heart wanted her to do something else, to me, that's a win for everybody. That's a really different lens on making that kind of decision, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. you just hit on it. I feel like folks are taught that they need to make it work, right? Um, That they're failing if it doesn't work for them. And you're giving a different kind of internal um, voice for someone to be able to say, no, I'm actually going to be a um, a greater contribution Mm -hmm. here. And the ironic thing about it is she felt when she was in the technical role that she was in more of a leadership role because people counted on her. They trusted her. She felt that she was leading from that position. And when she took on this official title of managing the team, she wasn't sure what to do. She wasn't confident. She wasn't able to really embrace what that meant. So the caution is not to pull the cord too quickly. Right, you don't want to, uh, what I hate to see is when people are in a new position and they, they just want to go back to the safety and the comfort of what they've done before. Right. So you've got to be really mindful that you're not just jumping back to what you know because it feels safe or because you're used to doing it, but to really follow what is it that you want to do. And if most of us are quiet, I believe we know the answer to that. I think that's a big part of it, right? Um, it takes something to be able to really assess your passion mm-hmm. and your proficiency. Exactly. Right? Like what you 
truly excel at. Not like what you can do, but what you truly excel at. And really taking stock of that, but then also taking stock of if I've got high passion, but low proficiency, yes. if, is this something I really want to develop, yes. right? Or maybe I have high proficiency in this, but man, I don't have any passion here. Yeah. There's a, those are indicators, right? Mm -hmm. But knowing how to do that. Yes. Um, I'm like saying that, but I don't know, early in my career, I knew how to do that. Mm -hmm. I mean, you don't, you don't get taught that in school. Exactly. Right? Right. So. And a promotion meant a win. A promotion meant you were doing something right. Yes. So you just kept yeah. doing that thing. Yeah. I love the strengths-based leadership approach, this idea yeah. about following what you're inherently good at, because it's not you're not working in the same way. Yeah. You're just, you're building on something that's inherently part of who you are versus trying to force something which can feel exhausting and overwhelming in a way that when you're following your talent, it just, it feels freeing and liberating. I, I can, I can connect with that, especially being a, a now a, a business owner and really yeah. wondering at a certain point, like, it was my dream. Yes. And then there's so much you have to learn. Yes. I'm like, Ugh, do I really want to do this? Right. Um, and realize I did, mm -hmm. which is why we're sitting here. Um, <laughs> Thank goodness. But I, I mean, I feel like I've gone through that a few times yeah. in my career, without a doubt. So um, one of the reasons I'm sitting here with you is because um, one of the choices that you made was to be an author too. You've got yes. a leadership journal out there. Um, you can find it on Amazon and we'll put all of this in the show notes. Like oh, people will you. be able to find you um, through my show notes, find this. Um, and for me, like what you're just describing here, um, th that ability to create that awareness is, is present in that journal. So talk to us about like this book that you put out, um, what it's trying to accomplish, what is it that you hope for? for leaders that get a chance to be able to engage with it? So the reason I wrote it was that I never wanted to forget the journey that I went through. So a couple of years ago, I went through a, a gut-wrenching, soul-sucking journey of trying to figure out, is this what I want to do? And the real question is, this is who I want to be. So I had worked my entire career to get to an executive level position. That was the goal. And I was there. I was at an, excuse me, I was at an executive level in an organization and I was miserable. I was unhappy. I, Sunday nights at four o'clock, I would just get this pit in my stomach because I knew what tomorrow was going to bring. Yes. And I just decided I don't want to do that anymore. And so to take this leap of faith and say I want to follow the things that make me feel like I'm coming alive versus that make me feel like I'm having to put myself in a box during oh, the day. Totally. And so the reason why I wrote the journal is those were the questions that I asked myself during that period of discovery. And there's a piece of me that as much as I talk about trust, there's a piece of me that doesn't trust myself. Is there, is there some point in time I'm going to forget all of that? Am I going to slip down this road and do something else? And so I wanted to commit that journal to paper. So if and when that happened again, I would say, all right, Lenniker, you've done this before. Here are the questions. You knew the answers then, and you still know them now. Um, and the, the journal has been so wonderful to use with coaching clients because it helps them on their own journey. Oh, I bet. So I think with the first time we spoke, I was telling you like, there's I think it's page 20, um, and there's kind of a leadership journey map. Yeah. And um, I love those. I I've never seen one actually on paper before because I create my own. Like, mm -hmm. um, I've got my own little journeys for whatever it is. Um, but uh, to be able to tease like where did I get to yes. today and it was powerful for me in two points one is to reflect on the yeah. growth both you know um, what went quote-unquote well and what didn't yes. go the way I thought it would um, but then two I think what was really cool about it was it's super easy just in life um, yeah. but especially within the context of leadership with the team let's say to drift yes. you know like you just you 
you just kind of go on autopilot, mm -hmm. so because you're busy doing exactly. instead of living in the realm of accomplishing or, or yes. you know fulfilling a purpose. And so yes. that's what I loved about that. I was like, there's a lot that's in that book, yeah. um, but that one page was like, oh my gosh, which is what prompted me to oh, like, reach out to you. I'm like, so you got to come on this podcast so that folks give you a chance to meet you. Because I think the really scary thing is that in that busyness, we can get rewarded. Yes. We are rewarded for being busy. We're rewarded for producing and for, and yet it, it's often in those times of busyness that we're not listening to ourselves. And that was what those few months of discovery were for me, was really trying to shut out some of the noise to, to stop all of the busyness and having to wrestle with those questions that I didn't want to ask myself because I knew the answer. I knew that I wasn't in the job I needed to be in. I knew I wasn't in the career that I wanted to be in. I knew that. But when you're busy, you don't have to think about it. You just show up and you do your job and people applaud you and you just, it feels good until you're by yourself and you're sitting in that quiet space saying, is this who I am? Is this who I want to be for the next 40 years of my life? And for me, the answer was no. That's a big challenge that I think you're putting out for folks, right? Because mm -hmm. we've all been there. Mm -hmm. And it might, I mean, maybe it was super, it was super big or long and it had a bigger impact in our life or yeah. maybe it's small, yes. right? Like, exactly. I mean, even, this is not to equate it, but even something as simple as, do I want to stand in this line long enough to, you know what I mean? Yes, it's all about choices. Yes, it is all about choices. Yep. So then let me ask you this, because um, we've had this great, I, I'm super glad, by the way, for those that are listening, that you get a chance to meet Amy in this venue. Um, you spend a lot of time taking stock of leading yourself, leading others. Yes. Um, I just want to ask this question. So, mm -hmm. you know, you started with saying, I don't think of myself as like, you know, leadership development. That's thing about. <laughs> so talk to us about what leadership looks like for you just as a mom and, yeah. you know, in family, just so you can get a sense of that. Like, yeah, for me, I think it is about um, trying to do better every day. Okay. So I have to be in a place where I can't ask other people to do what I'm not willing to do. Yeah. So the beautiful thing about doing leadership development is that as I'm asking clients and teams these questions, I'm having to ask myself. So I'll give you an example. Yesterday, I was facilitating a class and it was on repairing trust. Have, okay. you, have you done something you're not proud of and what are you going to do with that? So when the team took a break, I had to text my husband because I had been a horrible nightmare of a wife the day before. <laughs> and so it was those moments of text like, okay, having them come to the realization, I myself had to come to the realization that I wasn't who I wanted to be yesterday and I need to repair that. Uh, we had something with our son recently. So he is in middle school okay. and we get his report card. It's all electronic now. Okay. And so I'm looking at his report card. He has mostly A's. He had a couple B's and he had one C. Okay. So I am a leadership development consultant. I am trained in strength-based leadership. My whole premise in life is to help people start with what they're good at. And the first words I said to my son were, seriously, Miles? And I was looking at the C and his face just fell. And in that moment, I knew that that wasn't what I wanted to say. What I should have said to him was, it was his first year at a new school, new teachers, new friends. He was terrified about middle school. He had stayed up the night before the first day, terrified he wasn't gonna make it. And I should have started with, you did it. You nailed it. You've done so well. And then listen to him while he talked about all the things that had gone right. Mm -hmm. And then only after he was done talking would I have said, okay, Miles, so tell me about the C. That doesn't, that doesn't seem like you. So to start from a place of seriously, Miles, uh, 
I was able to now stop it in the moment. So what I did was I apologized and I just said, Miles, that's not what I meant to say and I want to do it over. Mm -hmm. And so I have to believe that we're not defined by those moments. Right. We're not defined by those moments where we say the things that we didn't mean to say. It's about what do we do to clean it up and how quickly do we repair. Yeah. Uh, and luckily, Miles was very forgiving and I hope in that moment I modeled that you can get it wrong and still make it right. Which I think is really powerful because this isn't about being like perfect. No. This isn't about like, you know, neatly wrapping every situation with a bow on yes. it, right? This is about things being messy and yes. um, how quickly can you be able to yes. see yep. where things went off track the way that you didn't want them to, right? And I didn't know that as a new leader. I think that's yeah. the biggest mistake that I made was I didn't know how to deal with the messy. Yeah. I wanted things tied in a bow. I wanted everything to be just so. Yeah. Uh, I've gone back and apologized to all of the members of my first team. Sincerely, called them all because I wasn't the leader that they deserved. I was doing what I knew how. Right. I was leading in the way that I knew how to lead, but that wasn't leadership. Well, I think that takes a lot. There's something, so there's something people talk about authenticity. Yes, all the, the buzzword, yes. It is the buzzword. And, and you know, when I ask people, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. You know, you get a variety. It's kind of like asking people, what does integrity mean? You sure. Know? And it's just like you get a variety. But, um, but it seems like you're very grounded in yeah. like matching who you say you are with how you're being. You know, it doesn't mean, and that's like, um, by the way, that's like a never ending continual choosing, right? Absolutely. Right? Like that's yes. just, it's not like, oh, you said you were this way and you weren't. Exactly. But what it's really cool about just like listening to you right now is, you don't get one person at work and one person at home, you know? Yep. Like, there should be some consistency yeah. and it's there. And I think that's what makes this work so powerful and you alluded to it earlier is right. when you figure out something in your life, in your leadership in one place, it's going to transform. Exactly. Where we get stuck is either we don't figure it out or we think we can be different in different yeah. places. And I think that's so insightful. I do a uh, I do a values exercise with teams where they identify their values, and nine times out of ten, someone will ask me, "Do you mean my values at work, or do you mean my values at home?" Yeah. And so for me, that's an indicator because I'm curious about that. Why would your values be different at work than they are at home? They may show up differently. The way you behave out your values may look very different with your coworkers than they do with your family. But you yourself, if your values are who you are when no one's around, why would that be different right. wherever you are in the world? Right. Um, and I say that, and I spent decades not in that place. I spent decades where I think I did have different values at work and at home until I came to this gut-wrenching, soul-sucking <laughs> experience <laughs> of who am I? Right. And once I figure that out, that's who I need to be everywhere. Hmm. So that when I hear people sense. ask that question, I think, oh, I think there might be something to be curious about here. Yeah, it, 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 we're all gonna, it's just fascinating to me. Like, it took me a long time to figure that out too. Like, how you might, you know, word or message certain things might be different. Like, yeah. I'm gonna message something on, I'm just gonna use this on Facebook versus LinkedIn, you know, <laughs> yeah. might be different, but the message is still the yeah. same, like to the core of what I'm trying to be. Like, exactly. um, I had a really good mentor and um, she she sat me down in a room and she was like, I was, I was at this leadership moment, like I had oh. this struggle and she was like, you know, um, 
you're going to make a bunch of mistakes, but you know, if you think about like your career, what would be the one word that you would want people to you know know you as? And wow. I just sat with that, and uh, I'm not a fast thinker. You know how some people are like, oh, I'm like, I don't know, I need to go like <laughs> canoe out for a while and sojourn <laughs> yeah. on this for a minute. Uh -huh. um, which is pretty sad. Uh, <laughs> I but I came bad. back and I was like, solid. Like, Solid. I just want to be, like, consistent. Like, no yeah. matter what, this is what they're going to get from me. They might be disappointed in what I have to say. Um, and they might they might be happy about what I have to say, right. but they're always going to get this truth from me. Um, and Solid for me was, like, yes. you know, based on what I would actually be able to bring to the moment, too, right? right? Like, yes. this is how well I'm, I'm going to make this up. But this yeah. is how well I understand the risk today and the impact it's going to have on yep. you. So this is why I am or not going to do something. Uh -huh. um, and I might have a different answer in 10 years from now because I'm going to have more experience, sure. but I'll still be consistent yes. with that. And so, um, but that made a big difference for me because I thought yeah. that you was providing me a leadership lesson with how I was going to interact right. with leaders in my organization. I and it turned out like that. solid is like how I approach parenting, yes. how I approach uh, my relationship with my wife. Like, right. You know, yeah, it's and part of your compass. It's yes. who you are. And, yeah. And where it doesn't show up, I can see that there's an opportunity for growth. Yes. Right. Well, and it's interesting because to me, the word solid sounds a lot like stability, hmm. which is one of the four things that we know from around the world research that people want in leadership. So what you picked up on when you were out canoeing, <laughs> doing all your processing, <laughs> was a need that people around the world have expressed. They need people to bring stability, to bring that solidness to them. So Beautiful. I think that's amazing. Well, kudos to me. Kudos <laughs> to you. So as we conclude our time here together, um, I just want to bring things full circle because you work with lots of teams. If you could create like the perfect leadership experience for a new leader, or maybe even a leader who's been at it for a while and wants something different, what would that look like? I would first want to take out the word perfect. Okay. Because we talked about that earlier, right? Yes. We don't have to strive for perfection because it doesn't exist. So my worry about telling people about a perfect development would mean we're trying to create perfect leaders, which we'll never do. Uh, but I think it would involve three components. So I think the first one would be, how do we give them the mentors that they need to, to be who they want to be? Awesome. I've been so fortunate in my career to have people who believed in me and cared about me and who put me on a journey that I would have never known I could do on my own. Uh, those people who look at you and believe in you and when you don't believe in yourself, yes. that to me has to be part of any leadership development program. So that when you're doubting yourself, there's someone who believes in you and says you can do this. I love it. So I think that's the first piece. The second one is there would have to be some formal training. It's not the biggest piece of it, but I think so often we believe that we're supposed to be born knowing how to do this. We we don't think twice about going to a class on how to learn Excel, which by the way, I've been to six of them. I cannot create a pivot table Me to say, I don't want to. I don't understand macros. I don't either. Yeah. Why would I not just pay someone to create a pivot table, mm -hmm. right? But different topic altogether. Uh, but we don't think twice about going to a class on Excel, but somehow we think, well, why would we go to a class on how to be a leader? Because we have to learn how to do that. Yes. And then the third thing is how do we create places where people can safely fail? Oh, that's great. Because I know for me, the times when I grew the most as a leader was when I completely blew it. Mm -hmm. When I just absolutely unequivocally blew it. That's when I learned the most. And luckily, I had bosses who created spaces where it was safe for me to fail. So when I did blow it, there weren't grand, you know, there weren't these gross ramifications. It was something that we could fix and we could get better. Because it was in that learning to get better that I really learned how to grow. 
That's so huge. So I think those were the three things I would those, put together. Those are like three of the most powerful things I think I've heard um, in a long time, which is really cool. Oh, great. So um, I know our time's up. Yes. I super appreciate you coming on. Um, you've got a book. If folks want to find it, they would go to Amazon. Mm -hmm. If they want to find you, they can find you at your website. Yes, we'll amylanneker.com. amylanneker.com. We'll mm -hmm. put that in the show notes. Great. Um, where else can people find you if they want to follow you, learn more about you? Right now, I am uh, on LinkedIn, awesome. which I love. Yes. Uh, my friends are convinced me I need to be on Facebook. The jury is still out. What's your sense on that, Chris? Do I need to be on there? Um, yeah. I do? Yes. Okay. So there's a big debate right now. We can talk more about it, but offline. Yeah, Facebook, Instagram. Yep. You, you just have to decide like what it would get you. <laughs> yeah. So people can find you at your website. They yes. can find you on LinkedIn. Yes. Okay. Those are two great places to find you. Great. And if they want to read more about what we just talked about in terms of the journal, they can go to Amazon and they can find it through your website as well. Exactly. Awesome, Amy. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This has been so much fun. Me too. Hey everybody, I hope you enjoyed that interview. There's so much more to it, but we had to cut so much out. Um, please go visit her website, visit her on LinkedIn, uh, find her leadership journal. All of this you can find in the show notes. And I look forward to seeing you guys all next week.